Mark chapter 3 begins and at first feels very much like Mark chapter 2. The first story pivots between where we just came from and where we need to get to in the rest of the book of Mark. Mark 3, verses 1 to 6 in the Message Bible reads, Then he went back in the meeting place where he found a man with a crippled hand. Pharisees had their eyes on Jesus to see if he would heal him, hoping to catch him in a Sabbath violation. He said to the man with the the crippled hand, stand here where we can see you. Then he spoke to the people, what kind of action suits the Sabbath best, doing good or doing evil, helping people or leaving them helpless? No one said a word. He looked them in the eye, one after another, angry now, furious, At their hard-nosed religion, he said to the man, hold out your hand. He held it out, and it was as good as new. The Pharisees got out as fast as they could, sputtering about how they would join forces with Herod's followers and ruin him. Now, let's put ourselves in the position of the average congregation member in this story. Casual attender, sometimes a giver, One out of three songs, you will even raise a hand. Now we are sitting in church. The worship was good. We really enjoyed the message. Nothing out of the ordinary has happened. We like it that way. It is easier when you know exactly what to expect. All of a sudden, our guest speaker looks like he's about to do something crazy. Maybe not crazy, but not for a Sunday. Now, for a Sunday at church, there are rules for what you can cannot do at church on a Sunday. Certain things are better on a Monday than they are on a Sunday. But the speaker calls up the target of everyone's attention and says something weird about causing harm or killing and what is worse. Then all of a sudden, with withered hand, his withered hand, it, it's healed. It's a bizarre morning for sure, but even stranger is the fact that the pastors looked angry. Then they ran off with the board and had a side meeting. Why wasn't anyone happy for this guy? His life was just changed. Stories like this are a sleight of hand trick for the senses. Have you ever seen someone pull off a really good card trick? You watch it multiple times and not once can you figure it out. They were either able to get you to pay attention to the wrong thing or their hands are just faster than your eyes. There's a bit of that going on inside this story. Let's begin with the setting. Jesus is in the synagogue where he's already billed as a prolific teacher. He has a following for both his teaching and the fact that he's a healer. Right off the bat, he is going to draw a crowd. He has already been accused of breaking the Sabbath laws by the Pharisees, but this is the first time that it happens inside the synagogue. Jesus is taking it up a notch. Now, the Pharisees are already thinking the worst of Jesus. They've made up their minds as to what the outcome needs to be for him. Not only his ministry, but his very life. This group of so-called God-fearing men were so focused on doing what they were trained to do doing what they believed was the right thing to do. They believed that their actions were to benefit God's chosen people. 
They needed to protect the people from, from those who were going to break the rules and fall outside of the guardrails that we talked about last week. Their ideas, however, led them down a trail of control and accusations, and they themselves began to live immoral lives. You see, they, they broke the, the spirit of the law in order to hold Jesus to the letter of the law. They could care less that someone's life had just been changed by an act of God. That brings us to the man with the withered hand. Church tradition holds that his hand was not always withered and that by trade he was a plasterer. This is not canonized detail, but it does go to push on the importance of the hand itself. It could have been an ankle, a knee, a nose, an ear. But no, it was a hand. There's some significance here. With the restoration of the hand comes three things. One, his capacity to work. This represents a felt need in his life that would sit beside his need for God. This is a practical thing that Jesus could do to change his life forever, restore his ability to provide food, clothing, and shelter for himself and his family. Now, the second is the the outstretched hand of fellowship. There's a lot inside a handshake. One of the many things that went on the sidelines in the last two years. Not only did we put the act of shaking hands on hiatus, but for many of us, we've forgotten what it's like to be social, to have friends and be neighborly. Did you know that people are still people in 2022? People are still good no matter their politics, interpretation of current events, or anything else you want to pin against them. Thirdly, an outstretched hand represents our generosity. For this man, his generosity would be limited by the first two. Without income or fellowship, generosity dries up. But this guy's life changed. Sure, it was a cool healing, but many things were restored to his life beside his physical health. If there was anyone at church that day to celebrate with, it was this guy. But no one celebrated, cheered, or praised Jesus for this act of compassion. Instead, the spotlight goes to those trying to hold on to control. The meeting after the meeting takes place, and the people who were there just to learn more about God and, and find out about him, they found themselves awestruck, not from the miracle, but from the behavior of the spiritual elite, these giants of faith. The sleight of hand here is not to bring joy and wonder like a good magic trick, but it forces the attention of the reader, me and you, and the rest of the people in the congregation, off of what God is doing and onto what the enemy is doing in the hearts of men. The man's hand might have been visually withered, but the hearts of the Pharisees were equally as withered. A withered heart can try to muddy the waters of reality to the point where the withered hand does not get healed. Let me ask you a question. How hard is it for you to be happy for someone else? Do you ever try to diminish or lower people's perspectives of someone or something so that you remain in a position of power? 
look, I believe that most people are reasonable. Most people are willing to compromise and see the success of the greater good over personal perspective. In this story, Pharisees showed us their true selves. They weren't willing. They had gone so far down the rabbit hole that there was no coming back. When Jesus asked the question, is it better to do good or harm, save a life or kill, they had already made up their minds so they couldn't answer. As we become more like Jesus, which is the goal of this whole thing we call going to church, we are going to see areas of our lives that we could call withered heart moments. Like in this example with the Pharisees, they usually identify themselves when something good is happening for someone else. Or even when something bad isn't happening in contrast to what we perceive in the mirror. Look, I have two kids. They are similar in age, and I learned my lesson early in parenthood that you cannot do something nice for just one of them. In order to give one a treat, you must also do something of equal awesomeness for the other. If I took my boy to McDonald's and left my daughter at home, there would be a reckoning ahead of me. I would pay for that decision over and over again for years and years to come. I would hear the phrase, do you remember that time? Well into my 80s. But as they get older and mature into what one day will be a functioning adult, I expect this behavior to change. I expect that they are going to mature and have the ability to be happy for each other as an adult or a teenager or maybe you're a senior. Have you mastered this ability? Can you be happy for someone else? Can you handle it when the spotlight is not constantly on you? I'll put it another way. Our love for one another should reflect who we are as citizens and neighbors. There's a very popular piece of scripture that is used at weddings, even though its original intent had nothing to do with marriage. It is a stanza written by the Apostle Paul as he was writing to a very talented, powerful, and amazing church in the city of Corinth. From 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he writes this. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secrets, plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but... If I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Last week, 
I ask you to lay down your guns. This week, I'm asking you to prefer one another in the spirit of love. One of the lasting effects this behavior has is it starts to build a culture where we, uh, we no longer go to God for the big things, small things, or even the heartaches that we have. Instead, we are more concerned with what people are doing and thinking. Jesus is calling today from the stories of Scripture. He is calling us to look past what others are doing and focus on what he is doing and about to do in your life. Like the man with the withered hand, Jesus is calling us to stand up. He knows that there are people in your life who like to distract and play sleight of hand tricks. Ignore them. Jesus is calling us all to so much more. This is a brand new year. We are going to leave the past year in the past. We are going to go after God in prayer and worship and declaration, believing that he has good things for us and good things for those around us. When God does what he does and heals the withered hands in our lives, we're going to celebrate with one another. When Jesus says, stand up here and let's see that hand I just healed, is a time to celebrate and put the attention back on what God is doing and not on the behavior of others. Jesus is calling you today. Stand up and be proud of who you are, who God created you to be, and what he is doing in your life. Like I said, there is a culture that wants to hold people back, and we see it all through society. We don't have to live like that. We can accept love. We can accept this this mission from God to love one another, to stand up and say God is doing good things all over the place.